You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. It's an honor to be with you this morning as Pastor Dean travels back uh, from spending time with family. And uh, before we jump in, I just want to um, make sure that we lift up the Gaskins and Glass family this morning. As many of you know, uh, Wesley uh, his funeral is going to be tomorrow here um, at the church at 2.30 uh, p.m. So um, if you want to check out more details on Wesley's Warriors Facebook group um, for that. And um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just lift up these families again this morning. Lord, I'm just so thankful for uh, who you are, Lord, and for uh, your great love for us. And even in, in times where we don't understand why you work the way that you work and why you allow things to happen that, that you allow. Well, we know that we can trust you because uh, you demonstrated your love for us uh, on the cross. And Lord, I just lift up the Gaskin family and the Glass family to you this morning, Lord. Give them the peace that passes all understanding, Lord, in the most difficult circumstances imaginable. Lord, I just pray your peace on that family, Lord. May we as a church lift them up. And uh, God, I pray for uh, the service this morning, Lord, that you would speak to me and through me as we look at the book of Acts. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So just again, a reminder that we are not having any morning services here next week. We'll be at the moon 3, 5, and 7 p.m. We hope that you will join us and bring someone with you. Well, we've made it. After being in Acts since January, we have gone through chapter by chapter uh, all year long, and here we are in the final chapter of the book of Acts, in the final section of the final chapter of the book of Acts. So Paul finally arrives in Rome, and I don't think Paul arrived in Rome the way he anticipated he would make it to Rome. I think for a long time he wanted to get to Rome, but probably did not picture coming to Rome as a prisoner, yet that is what we find out. And even getting to Rome What's well, much more difficult, even as a prisoner, than you might think. If you read through Acts 27 and the first part of Acts 28, you see a lot going on where Paul is facing circumstances that could prevent him from ever making it. And although Satan is never mentioned in Acts 27 or 28, make no mistake, the enemy did not want Paul to make it to Rome. And so he was trying to take Paul out through a variety of things. I mean, think about this, what Paul went through. He had to escape an assassination attempt. He gets into a storm while he's on a ship. The ship shipwrecks on an island. And then after they survive getting to shore, a poisonous snake bites Paul. I, I mean, it's like anything that the enemy could throw at Paul was being thrown at him. Yet God is sovereign over every circumstance. And because God told Paul, you are going to go to Rome then you can take it to the bank. Paul was going to make it to Rome because our God is sovereign. And so despite Satan's attempts to take him out before, it didn't work. Why would he want to stop Paul? Because he knew that if Paul made it to Rome, the gospel makes it to Rome. Even the island of Malta that Paul's ship shipwrecked on, if that shipwreck had not happened, then the people on Malta would never have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet we see that the people not only heard it, but many people began to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Again, all because a sovereign God 
has allowed certain things to happen and has steered it in that direction because ultimately it fulfills his purpose. So Paul arrives in Rome, and he's under some type of house arrest situation where he's, cha- he's chained to a Roman soldier, yet he's free to preach the gospel. And so we come into our passage today in Acts 28, beginning in verse 17. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. Now get this, you've just survived all that I've I've laid out for you that Paul has in getting to Rome. And you spend three days of recovery time, and you're like, okay, I'm going to call together the very same type of people that arrested me to begin with, the Jewish people. Is that what you would do? I'm sure that's not what I would do. But this is what Paul does, and this is what Paul does all the time. If you follow Paul's ministry throughout the book of Acts, he meets with the Jewish people first and shares the gospel with them. And yet, here he is as a prisoner, and that doesn't change at all. And he begins to explain that even though there's nothing that would warrant his arrest, here he is. And because the Jewish people in Jerusalem were bringing up such accusations, Paul felt like he had to appeal to Caesar for a fair trial. And so this is what brought him to Rome. And you'd think Paul would want to be vindictive about this, yet he says, I am not bringing any kind of charge against my people, talking about the Jews. Instead, I'm, I am in these chains for the hope of Israel. For Paul, hope is a person named Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited one of the Jews. And so, he is bringing that message to the Jewish people. This is why he's in chains. We also find out that here the, the Jews in Rome have not heard anything from the Jews in Jerusalem So they kind of want to hear from Paul themselves and find out what is this all about because they're hearing uh, rumblings going on about what they refer to as a sect. Now, normally a sect is something like a subset of Judaism like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, things like that. But here we find that they're referring to Christianity. Now, Christianity was not born in a vacuum. It came out of what we call the Old Testament yet Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. So even though the law and the prophets and everything we share uh, with what the Jewish people followed in Paul's time, the reality is Jesus fulfilled that. And so here is Paul up against uh, the, the Jewish people that have put him there, and yet he's there to share with them the hope of Israel and explain. So we look at verse 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. 
The first thing we see about Paul is Paul didn't waste any time to begin sharing the gospel. Like I said, he was there three days after he had been through all that he'd been through, and then he starts arranging a time for the Jewish people in Rome to come meet with him so that he could share the gospel. And so they're going to have to come to him because he's in this kind of house arrest situation chained to a Roman soldier, but that's what they do. And notice that he expounds on Jesus from dawn to dusk. All day long, he's talking to them about the message of Jesus. Now, how much time do we waste before we're willing to share the gospel with someone? I mean, do our neighbors know that we're Christians? Do they know what the gospel is? What about our friends, our coworkers, our family that maybe we've spent time with over the Thanksgiving holidays? Did they know the gospel? I can tell you that I come up with every excuse possible before I share the gospel. Well, I don't want to offend my neighbor because, I mean, i got to live beside these people. I, I don't want to do anything that's going to offend them. Or, you know, I'm just going to wait till the perfect opportunity. I haven't found the perfect opportunity yet to share the gospel. Well, have you ever noticed that when you wait for the perfect opportunity, that perfect opportunity never actually happens, does it? We see that we are often putting off what we should do uh, more immediately, and we're free. Yet here's Paul. He doesn't wait for the perfect opportunity. He's a prisoner and creates an opportunity to share the gospel. And so when it comes to what Paul actually says to the Jews, he preaches about Jesus from the Scriptures. Now, for you and I, the Scriptures include what we call the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in Paul's day, all he had was what we would refer to as the Old Testament. Because guess what? Paul is living out the New Testament. In fact, the guy wrote like half of it. And so here he is with what we call the Old Testament. And Luke, the author of Acts, refers to uh, Paul as looking or taking them through the laws of Moses and the prophets. And so in that time period, what we find is they divided what we call the Old Testament into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And many of the Jewish people would, would abbreviate that and just call it the law and prophets. And that's what was happening here is it expounded from the law of Moses and the prophets, meaning what we call the entire Old Testament. That's what Paul is using to point out Jesus. Even Jesus himself in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. What Jesus said in those words is, I have come to fulfill all of what you read about in the Old Testament. I am that. All the prophets that prophesied of, of one that would come, I'm him. That law that was laid out, I have fulfilled that on your behalf. Look at Luke 24, verse 27. This is when Jesus appears on the road with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he begins explaining to them. Verse 27 says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. And so again, he is saying, everything in the Old Testament points to me. This is the same thing that Paul did when he was before King Agrippa in Acts 26. He expounded the law and the prophets to him to point out Jesus as the fulfillment. You see, the entire Old Testament points forward to the coming of Jesus the Messiah. 
the anointed one, the long-awaited one that the Jews expected to be a political savior, when in reality, Jesus was much deeper than that. He was a spiritual savior. In other words, instead of freeing them from Roman occupation, he would free them from slavery to sin, which is a much deeper problem. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's hints and shadows of what's going to come, and yet Paul is saying this is all fulfilled in Jesus. He uses what the Jewish people would be familiar with, what they would hold in, uh, you know, they would revere this. And so he uses that to point to Jesus. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a, a an Old Testament Bible story to my two daughters, and uh, it was about Moses, who was not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land because he had struck a rock to get water out of it, out of anger, instead of speaking to it like God told him to. And my oldest daughter looked up at me and said, Daddy, God was really strict. And I said, yeah, that's because God is holy and we are not. And God's standard is perfection. And none of us can accomplish that. But the good news is, which literally is what gospel means, is that even though we cannot meet that standard, God sent Jesus who can meet that standard and did on our behalf. And so he's hinted at things all along in Scripture. You start in Genesis and you go all the way through the Old Testament. There's hints everywhere. There's foreshadowing everywhere of the coming of Jesus because God's wrath is on sin. And unless we obey perfectly, then God's wrath is on us. And so our choice is either going to be God's wrath on us or God's wrath on Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to do is to take the wrath of God, which was on sin. Jesus took our sin upon himself, so God's wrath was on his son instead of us. You know, all along the way you saw people taking animals and making animal sacrifices. Why? Because the penalty of sin is death. Something has to die because of sin. But these animal sacrifices were only temporary. They could only cover sin for just a little bit until the next one and the next one and the next one. But it was all foreshadowing because one day the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice would come in Jesus because he lived and fulfilled the law perfectly and he died in our place. This is the gospel. And so the question is, are we confident enough in God's word that we are sure of its truth? Do we spend enough time in the Bible to realize that everything before Jesus pointed forward to him and everything since him points back to him? He is the center of all eternity. And so are we confident in that? Do we know the gospel well enough to be able to articulate it when we're talking to other people? Do we actually preach the gospel to ourselves? We know that the good news of Jesus is for the non-Christian because we're all not good enough to be able to earn our way into heaven. And so we need the good news of Jesus because he took our penalty for us. But what we also need to realize is the gospel is for Christians, for believers, because we have to be reminded over and over and over again who we were and who we are and what Christ has done on our behalf. If we don't make that the central part of who we are, then we're lost. We're not heading the right direction. We forget who we really are. We forget the mission that God has called us to. We forget 
the in unbelievable, amazing grace and mercy that God has had on us. So, this is something we've got to keep doing. So, when we find out that Paul explains all this about Jesus being the fulfillment of what we call the Old Testament, some people believed. Yet, in verse 24, it says, but there are others that did not believe. Here we are some 2,000 years later, and the same thing could be said today. Many people believe. Many people reject the message of Jesus. So not only do we find out that Paul didn't waste any time in beginning to share the gospel, Paul also would not be discouraged or dissuaded at their lack of faith. Look at verse 25. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. There's obvious disagreement between those who believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these messianic prophecies, that he's the, the fulfillment of the law on our behalf. And then there's others that say, absolutely not. They completely reject it. So here is Paul quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in these verses. Now, originally that context is where God told a prophet named Isaiah to go to the people of Israel and to tell them, hey, if you don't turn back to God, because they'd gone after idols, other gods, they were doing everything they could that was completely against what God had spelled out clearly to them. He says, if you don't turn back from what you're doing, then I am going to send a far, some foreign invaders in here, and they're going to take you into captivity. And wouldn't you know it, that they'd never listened. The more Isaiah would preach to them and send that message, the more they would stiffen their necks and not do what, what God through Isaiah the prophet had told them to do. The people of Israel, though hearing, could not understand. Though seeing, they could not perceive the message of God. Why? They were deaf and blind to the message of truth. In the same way, we see that many of the Jews in Rome in Paul's day had shut their spiritual ears and eyes to the message of the truth of the gospel which Paul was preaching. So Paul indicates that the Holy Spirit was right in what he said through Isaiah to these people's great, 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 great grandparents, right? Six or seven hundred years earlier, they're acting the same exact way, that they are spiritually dull, and so the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree generation after generation after generation here. And so they're the same way in Paul's day that they were in Isaiah's day. What's interesting to note here is that the people listened to Paul until he started comparing them with the, the Israelites who wouldn't listen to God. And the fact that they were there leading, going to be led into captivity, this was like one of the lowest points in history for the Israelites. And yet, this is who they're being compared to. So, they didn't like that. But that's not ultimately what led them to walk away from Paul. What really teed them off was the next statement that Paul made. 
He dared to say that the salvation of God, which to them has always been and always will be for Jews only, Paul is daring to say that the salvation of God has now turned to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. Unlike these Jews, Paul said, they'll listen. Now, that might not strike you as, as amazing or, or like, oh my gosh, that kind of thing today. But let me put it to you differently. It would be the same as if God said, you know what, if you Democrats won't listen to my message then maybe I'll turn to the Republicans. They'll listen. Or dare I say, if you Seminole fans don't listen to the truth of the gospel, I'm going to turn to the Gator fans, and they'll listen to the gospel. You see how shocking that is? So we're talking about a major shocking statement that makes them walk away. Clearly, this is too much for them to handle. However, the fact remains that the gospel is not just for Jewish people. It's for all people. And so what we find is, no matter what your past is, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your social status, your political affiliation, or heaven forbid, even your college football team is, the gospel is for everyone. So are we discouraged when we share the gospel and it's not received? Look at Isaiah the prophet, the one that Paul quotes here. If you were to look at his ministry and you based his ministry success on the response of the people, then Isaiah was probably the most abject failure of anyone in all of the Bible. I mean, the guy wrote 66 chapters of telling the people to turn back, turn back, turn back. And guess what? They never did. They never turned back. So under that type of assumption of, of Isaiah's ministry being dependent on the response of the people to his message, he was a big failure. But the reality is, that's not what success was based on. The success of Isaiah's ministry was, was he faithful in bringing the message that God had called him to deliver to the people, regardless of their response? The same thing could be said of us today. We are not judged by the response of other people when we share the gospel to them. What we are judged on is, were we faithful to know the gospel and to deliver the gospel? To others. And so what we find is Paul didn't waste any time sharing the gospel. He would not be discouraged or dissuaded by their lack of faith. And then finally, Paul may be chained, but make no mistake, the gospel is unchained. Verse 30, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, we don't hear the end of Paul's story here. All we know is that Paul's in some sort of house arrest type situation, chained to a Roman soldier, but he's free to share the gospel to those around him. It's like nothing could stop the gospel's advancement. In fact, we know that because of Paul being a prisoner in Rome, that many in Caesar's own household have come to faith in Jesus. How do we know this? Because one of the letters Paul wrote while he was in Rome as a prisoner, Philippians, says so. Look at Philippians 4.22. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. 
Now, many times we think of saints as these special qualified people that get their face on a stained glass window. But saints are anyone who has been set apart for Christ. If you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint just as much as the ones in Scripture. Because Jesus has done everything. It has nothing to do with what you do or I do. It's all Him. And so when we see that all the saints send you greetings, especially the saints who belong to Caesar's household, he's talking about there are people in Caesar's own household who have come to faith in Christ. Now, would Paul have ever gotten an audience with Caesar, access to his household, if he had not come to Rome as a prisoner? Absolutely not. Again, God is ultimately sovereign. In fact, we also see while Paul is in prison in Rome, he writes some of the greatest letters that we have today in our Bible, in the New Testament. He writes Ephesians, he writes Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all while in prison. And later he will write his last letter, which is 2 Timothy. But Paul ends up writing these letters in, in Philippians, like the one I, I just mentioned from there. That letter is only four chapters long. And remember, Paul's writing this while he's chained to a Roman soldier. And he uses the word joy some 16 times in just four chapters. I don't know about you, but joy would not make the top 25 theme list for my letter writing from a Roman prison. Yet this is Paul. And so although Paul is in chains, what we find in many of Paul's letters is he describes himself as a prisoner, not of Rome, not of the Jewish leaders, not even of Caesar, but he describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because ultimately, God is the one who has put him there. Christ Jesus has called him. Remember, way back, I don't even know what month it was. We went over Acts 9, sometime in the spring probably. And here is Paul on the road to Damascus, and Jesus Christ meets him on that road and basically flips his script right there where he becomes the bringer of the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so we see this with Paul, and he recognizes, I'm not in these chains because of Rome or Caesar or Jewish leaders. I'm in these chains because this is where Jesus Christ has led me. And so that's what he sees as for the sake of the gospel. You know, we've spent nearly 11 months in the book of Acts this year, covering every chapter. We've seen how Jesus' words have been fulfilled from Acts 1.8. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you look at the book of Acts, that one verse, those words of Jesus are a blueprint to what we see happen in the book of Acts. You see on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. And in that moment, Peter preaches a sermon and thousands come to faith in Christ. He becomes a witness in Jerusalem. We see the gospel spread throughout Judea, even to Samaria. And now we see that Paul has made it to Rome, which is considered the ends of the earth at that time period. Why? Because Rome was the global city. And so Paul has made it there, and probably not in the way he anticipated, but he's made it there nonetheless. And because the gospels made it to this global city, the entire known world would have had some kind of access in some way 
to the gospel. And so, this is why even today we are so all about taking the message to global cities like London and Berlin and praying for those people and sending missionaries and, and giving to be able to support them and make sure that the gospel goes out to these global cities because you reach the global cities, you reach the world. And so now in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Not exactly what I would have drawn up, but that's what happened. Paul goes to Rome as a prisoner, and what's happened has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. You know, we live in a world on fire. Our culture has become more and more radically opposed to the things of God. Being a Christian today is no longer not, not a favored status. It's not only that, it's actually a symbol of ignorance and intolerance to many people. And so when people find out that you are a follower of Jesus, this is the way they see you in a lot of places in our country. A lot of people lose friends. They're ousted by family members, losing jobs. And then other places around the globe, people are losing their lives because of following Jesus. And when the gospel is preached, some people respond immediately to the gospel. Others, it takes a while. It takes several gospel opportunities for people to come to faith in Christ, and some of them reject it completely and never uh, accept that message as truth. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus can be downright discouraging until we remember that we serve a sovereign God. We know that the gospel is unchained, unhindered. Nothing can stop it. In Paul's last letter that we have in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, he writes, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. The same attitude that Paul had back in, at the end of Acts is the same attitude he has here in 2 Timothy. Even though he's writing these letters like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon while he's in Roman prison, he says things that you know he is a prisoner, but there's not this imminent execution looming. When you read through 2 Timothy, especially the last chapter of that letter, it sounds like Paul's not going to make it much longer. And church history tells us that he was martyred for his faith. And so, his attitude has not cha changed at all because even though he's in chains, the gospel is unchained. At City Church, we are on a mission. You know, we've just come through the first of a two-year expression of our vision to be for the gospel and for the city to expand our reach here in Tallahassee and beyond. As Pastor Dean has said all along as we've walked through the book of Acts, the book of Acts about the early church was really the original let's go. And so, let's not waste any time sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's not be discouraged or dissuaded from what we as individuals and as a church have been called to do. 
Let's remember that even when our efforts may appear to hit a wall or become hindered in some way, that our God is not hindered. The gospel cannot be stopped. City Church, let's go. Lord, I just thank you so much for loving us and God, your sovereignty over all things. And Lord, I just pray for boldness in, in sharing the gospel. Lord, help us to not only take advantage of every opportunity, but to create opportunities, Lord, like Paul did. Lord, help us not to be discouraged when people don't respond in the way that we want them to respond. And God, help us to remember that even when it seems like we are hindered, your good news is not hindered, Lord. Even as we look over history, we know that the more that believers are persecuted for their faith, the quicker the spread of the gospel becomes because you are sovereign over all things and all people. Lord, even in moments when we don't understand you, Lord, we can trust in you because you've shown us your love for us. And God, I pray that you would continue to encourage us, Lord, help us to be following after you more closely, and Lord, that we would have our spiritual eyes and ears open. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.